Uh, good morning, everyone. I want to especially welcome, I know I met two couples that are new this morning, and I think there are a few other people new, so we just want to welcome you. In fact, we want to welcome you with wide open arms, and so glad that you're here this morning. So there's an uh, old uh, quote that says, if your foot slips, you can recover your balance, but if your tongue slips, you can never recover your words. The chapter that we are studying, James chapter three, is a stunning declaration on the power of the tongue, an overwhelming uh, declaration on the effect of the words that we speak, the things that we say. And as we're teaching through this chapter, it's very clear that our lives are dramatically affected by the words that we use, by what we say. Last week, Jeff taught the first 12 verses. It was an excellent message from James chapter 3, and I will cover the last six verses, verses 13 through 18 this morning, as, uh, as Jeff mentioned during the announcements. This has just been like a, a perfect book for us right now. And I think as we're looking through, as we're looking through this chapter and studying it, more and more comes to life how brutal our tongue can be. Isn't that right? Our tongues can cause us just a world of, of problems. Um, as an introduction uh, to my message this morning, I want to take verses 5 and 6 from last week and take a look at those just to remind us um, just how dangerous the tongue is. Um, I want you to notice the language that uh, James uses here to describe the tongue. So the tongue is a small part of the body, yet a boast of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. I just look at those little phrases. The tongue boasts of great things. How great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. It's a world of iniquity. It defiles the entire body. And it can set on course uh, our life. I don't think we really understand sometimes what our words can do. And I think this is such a great study in this third chapter of James to remind us that we need to be even more careful than we've been in the words that we use. So I told this story uh, maybe seven or eight years ago. Some of you might have heard this. But I want to I share with you a time in my life in which the course of my young life was somewhat set in motion. I was 12 years old, and my eyesight went bad, and I had to start wearing glasses. And I, I remember I got the glasses, and I felt awkward at first. And my, a uh, few weeks later, my parents decided to visit my aunt in Palm Springs. And we pulled into Palm Springs, and we went up to the stoplight, and a car pulled up next to us. And I remember I casually looked over at the car, and the girl in the back seat said, 
what are you looking at, four eyes? <laughs> Immediately, two things happened. A wave of shame swept over me, number one. And number two, at that point, I branded myself as a four-eyed nerd. And for the next six years, from the time I was 12 until I was 18, I could barely talk to girls. I couldn't hardly look them in the eye. And I think by the time I finished high school, I had maybe one or two dates. I just felt bad about myself. Can you imagine seven words? That girl spoke to me, messed up my life for the next six years, at least as far as the opposite sex went. Actually, that was pretty important back in those days. <laughs> so a year out of high school, contact lenses became popular in America. And I went to the doctor, the optometrist, and I got a pair of contact lenses. And I looked in the mirror, and the doctor said, wow, you look great. And I stood up, and I walked out of that doctor's office, and I did feel great. I stepped out of that office into a brand new world. I stepped out of that office into a world that I'd never known before, a world of self-confidence. And from that day, I never had any problem speaking to the opposite sex, speaking to girls, <laughs> looking them in the eye, and far before I met Nikki, having lots of dates. <laughs> And then God graced me 47 years ago with just a fantastic lady. And I don't, you know, I look back and I go, gosh, I just wish I could have shaken those words off, you know. I wish I could have just paid no attention to them. But when you're 12 years old, you're just slightly impressionable. And I'm sure I was a little bit sensitive also. But um, they were tough words to hear. Uh, in, in the sixth grade. And I'm just wondering uh, how many of you this morning have been crushed by someone's words? How many of you have had someone say something to you that deeply wounded you? Someone was cruel and mean-spirited and just really took you out. Well, you know, I was thinking about that as I was preparing this message. And then the Lord reminded me of something. He said, Jay, how about how many times have you hurt somebody? How many times have you spoken words that crushed someone? And so I think it's important that we not just think about what someone has said to us, but it's important what we've said to others, that we realize that we have this little instrument called the tongue that can really wreak havoc uh, in our lives. So I think it's important for us to live uh, in a world of forgiveness, but also to live in a world in which we're very, very careful of what we say. And this verse right here is a verse that I hope that as a church uh, we could live in. To be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, uh, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And I'm going to mention this in a few more minutes. But this letter of James is written to assemblies of believers, to churches that were all throughout the diaspora of that day. 
that were written to people that were gathering together in which this is how you live the Christian life. It's not, it's not difficult to describe what does it take to walk with God? What does it take to love the Lord and treat his people like God wants us to treat them? It's very simple. It's that we're kind to one another. We're tender-hearted. We are forgiving of each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now, that little word up there, forgiven, that word is up there because we need to forgive once in a while. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to say something. We're going to do something. And that we as a church need to remember that we're going to fail. All of us are going to fail. I have failed so many times, I can't even hardly deal with it, the failures that I've had in my life. But God, his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness is set upon us and he calls us to be like he is. Yesterday in the prayer room, we read the first verse of Ephesians 5, which says, be imitators of God. And that's a high call for us. It's a high call to be imitators of God, but this is a good starting place that we can be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And if I have ever said anything to any of you at any time, I've been here now almost 19 years at this church, if I've ever said anything to you, whether in in a private or just one-on-one -on -one or even from the pulpit that has hurt you, I would just ask that you would forgive me. I don't know what that would be, but I'm sure over 19 years there's things that have been said or done that, that would need forgiveness. And so as a church, uh, I, I, I'm just uh, beseeching God, yearning for God that, that this verse here in Ephesians and another a passage that we're going to be looking at in just a minute, would become like the foundation of Little Church by the Sea, that we could be that kind of people, a people that is, that is characterized by love and by grace and by being kind to each other and being forgiving and, uh, and, and uh, esteeming each other as more important uh, than ourselves. And this is a big high calling. This is not easy for us to do. But I think one of the great values of the Word of God is that it continually is reminding us over and over of the kind of people that God uh, wants us to be. All right, uh, we're going to now, uh, we're going to look at our passage today, which is James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Now, the first 12 verses that Jeff taught last week really highlights the uh, danger of the tongue. And as we look at this passage, I want you to know that the tongue is still in focus here. The tongue is still in focus here as James now encourages us of, of what, what's the solution? What, what is the, what, how do we deal with this uh, dangerous part of our body? And how can the church how can the church live together uh, and uh, work through the problems that the tongue can bring? So we're going to have here kind of a, uh, a back and forth in which James 
is going to tell us about good behavior, and then he's going to remind us again about bad behavior uh, within the church. So who among you, verse 13, is wise and intelligent? Then show it by your good behavior in works done in humility and gentleness. But if you are bitterly jealous and full of selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. For jealousy and selfishness is man's wisdom and is earthly, carnal, unspiritual, and even demonic. Very strong language here. For where there is envy and contentiousness, there will be confusion, disharmony, and all kinds of evil. But God's wisdom is pure, peace-loving, considerate, yields to others, is full of mercy and good fruits, is impartial and always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now let me read the verses 17 and 18 one more time. But God's wisdom, and I just want to highlight God's wisdom, that the tongue is controlled by the power of God. This is how you control your tongue. Your tongue is controlled by you and I every single morning asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and help us to control our tongue. But God's wisdom is pure peace-loving, considerate, yields to others, is full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and always sincere. Wow, this is, this is a high standard here, wouldn't you say? This is a high standard, a high call for us to live in God's wisdom, in purity, to be peace-loving and considerate, to yield to others, to make others first uh, in our lives, uh, to be full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So let's, uh, I'm going to leave this passage up here uh, on the overhead. But verse 13 now uh, talks about what to do about the tongue. And that is that we are to be wise and intelligent and understanding and that we are to show this wisdom of God uh, by our behavior. And this is why uh, in my life, every single morning, I ask God to fill me with his wisdom and his understanding, that fill me with his spirit, because that is how I'm going to live a life in which I'm able to uh, walk with God and treat you uh, in the way that God wants me to treat you. And so this is a morning prayer I have every single morning. God, uh, help me to be wise. Help me be discerning. Help me to be understanding in all my relationships, Lord. Help me to, especially with those who are difficult for me. So I want to talk about, and I, and I, I say this fairly often, I want to talk about difficult people in your life. I want to say again, as I've said before, the most important people in your life are the difficult people. God has put those people in your life to stretch you, 
to take those things out of you that he wants out because they come out when you're around difficult people and he wants to change you to help you to give grace to those people who are most distressing to you. Now, who is most distressing to you? Think of that person. And then bless them. We need to bless... Wait a second. I'm seeing wives put their hands on their husbands. <laughs> Sometimes that can be true. Sometimes I can be the most annoying person in the world to my wife, that's for sure. Yes, yes way, Nikki will tell you. <laughs> Yeah, my, my, my sister-in-law who's married, my brother says it's not easy being married to a grant man. And that, that, that's true because, uh, I don't know, it must be our Scottish side that's in us, you know. But, uh, and so instead of, instead of cursing difficult people, instead of running away from difficult people, instead of avoiding difficult people, we need to face difficult people and realize that God has given us an opportunity to love people that are hard for us to love. Amen? Amen? Who is it that's hard for you to love? Who is it like the person that has really hurt you? You're to bless them. And you're to be just like this. I'll put that passage back up if you could. Um, thank you. Uh, and you're to, you're to show humility and gentleness. It's not easy to be humble, to keep yourself low before God and keep yourself low before other people. That's, that's not easy. Our selfish nature is battling us every single day, and it's a battle that we do have uh, every single day, whether uh, we're going to live for ourselves or we're going to live in verse 13 here, that we're going to be gentle and humble uh, in our every single day uh, relationships. Now, verses 14 to 16 are really, really devastating verses. They're devastating to me personally because I've seen in those verses churches separated and churches blown up, exploded uh, over just what's written here. But if you are bitterly jealous and full of selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. For jealousy and selfishness is man's wisdom and is earthly, carnal, unspiritual, and demonic. So what is earthly? What's carnal? What's unspiritual? What's demonic? Selfish ambition, jealousy, arrogance, selfishness. These things, God says, are earthly, carnal, unspiritual, and demonic. And where they exist, where they are, there is envy, and contentiousness, and there will be confusion, disharmony, and all kinds of evil. You can take those verses right there, and you can, and you can know what separates churches. This is what separates churches. This is what divides churches. Wherever, wherever you, begin to, uh, you begin to hear, you begin to, you begin to be a part of a church, in which there is criticism, and there is accusations, and there is bitterness and backbiting, and there is confusion going on. You can know that this is what's taking place. You can know that the enemy, the enemy is in the midst of a church, and whenever the enemy is in the midst of the church, there's one thing that's happening. It is always separation. 
The enemy always in our lives seeks to separate us from others. This is the, this is the way the enemy functions. It's the way the enemy works. The enemy always tries to separate a church, divide a church, mess a church up, sneaks in like a snake, and accusations and criticisms take place. And what all of us uh, in church life need to do is to be reconcilers and pursuers of peace. Need to be people who build each other up, who esteem each other, who promote each other, who want to see each other do better. This is what keeps a church healthy and strong. This is what keeps our relationships uh, going well. Verse 17 now, but God's wisdom is pure, peace-loving, considerate, and yielding to others. And I'll tell you this, that in marriage, I've learned this, that the only way that marriage works is when you yield to your spouse, is when you love, you put your spouse first ahead of yourself, ahead of what you want to do. It doesn't mean that you don't discuss things and there aren't decisions made together, but the only way that marriage really works well, everyone, is that you put that other person that you're married to first. That's the way marriage works well. You put them first. You're not always successful at doing that, but that's what you desire. I desire to put my wife first ahead of me. And so that is uh, something I've had to learn because for many, many years, I, I put myself first. But for us here at Little Church by the Sea, uh, my heart cries out that we'll be a church uh, in which the people that come here are humble and they're gentle and they're peace-loving and they're considerate and they yield to one another and they're full of mercy and good fruits and that we are not jealous or selfish, that we're not arrogant, that we're not full of our own ambition. It reminds me of the story, I've told this story before, you know, about, about the man who lived on an island for 50 years all by himself and was finally rescued after 50 years. And as the, as the little boat was going out to the rescue ship, the captain looked back on the island and there were three huts. And the captain said, well, what are those huts? And the man said that was rescued, well, the first hut is uh, the, my house where I lived. And the second hut is the church I went to. <laughs> and the captain said, well, what's the third hut? He said, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> this, no, but, but just think about it. <laughs> that's how fragile church can be, you guys. That's how fragile church life can be. And I'm telling you, like, it is, a, it is an enormous victory for us to hang together as a church and love each other in our differences. It's an enormous victory that we can't always agree with each other and that we stay together as a church because God's called us together. It's an enormous victory in marriage to disagree and still stay together, to be a Democrat or Republican, vote one way or the other. It's an enormous victory for us to, in the midst of the challenges of life, to say, this is what God's called me to, and I'm going to hang in there no matter what. 
It's an enormous victory that we say yes to God and no to ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. We don't want to have a church that we used to go to. In the sense of like, oh, I left that church because, you know, they were all messed up. Yeah, well, you go to the next church and you'll mess it up just by being there, probably. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've, I've lived in a church split. Like, it stinks. I still feel pain from how messed up what that does. You know what? Sometimes I think I'd just rather shut up than be right. There's a lot of wisdom in that. A lot of wisdom in just shutting up. And, 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 and even though you know you're right. <laughs> really, Nikki, I didn't have you in mind at all when I said that. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> I, I really get a kick out of that story. I love telling that story. All right. <laughs> So, Lord, would you, like, would you bless little church by the sea, God, that we could, we could live in these verses of humility and gentleness, that we could love each other, God, and be full of mercy and good fruits, God, and not always have to say that, oh, we've got the answer, and uh, be kind to each other, God, and, and gracious, Lord. Really, that's... That's my prayer. God, in an in a environment, in an atmosphere of our culture in which there's so much uh, volatility and hatred, God, and confusion, and everybody's so angry, God, here at Little Church by the Sea, may there just be a wave, God, of your love and mercy and forgiveness and grace, a wave, Lord, of being patient and Esteeming others is more important, God, and, and uh, not taking into account a wrong suffered. May there be, God, grace upon grace for a little church by the sea. Grace upon grace, God, that we can live together and pursue peace, God, and pursue righteousness and pursue you, God. May you be worshipped and exalted, and extolled and lifted up here at Little Church by the Sea. Not just in our worship, God, but in our behavior, too, in how we treat each other. May there be a tenderness, God, a tender-heartedness, Lord, a gentleness and a humility here at Little Church by the Sea. May that increase in us. And God, would you start with me? Would you start with me? And help build in me the character of Christ. And then in all of us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. All right, I want to, I want to close my message with uh, giving you uh, a few things that will help you uh, in controlling your tongue. If you want to snap that on your, on your iPhone, you can. Um, these, these, are, these, are what, these are what has have helped me. These, uh, these seven things have helped me. I, I put these together on Friday. I was thinking, God, how do, how, can I, how do I most control my tongue? And this is what I've written down. First, and which, and which James has just hammered us, is realize just how destructive your tongue can be, which means be careful in what you say.
think first about what you say before you say it. Don't be so impulsive that you say the first thing that comes to your mind. Think about like, what's, what effect is this going to have? How, how is this, this going to make someone feel what I'm going to say? The first thing and the most important, I think, before the rest can even come into play is realize just how brutal your words can be. Secondly, ask God to fill you each day, which I've been talking about all morning, with his spirit to help you guard your tongue. I'm telling you, the only way you'll successfully be able to control your tongue is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Spirit that will help you say those things that are gracious and kind and not the opposite. Number three, stop negative thinking. Cease from bad thoughts. Somebody said a while back, no more stinking thinking. When negative thoughts come in your mind, you've got to nip them in the bud. The first negative thought that comes in, you've got to reject that. You've got to say, absolutely no. Cease from bad thoughts. Um, Proverbs 23.7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. The more that you ruminate on the past and the past hurts and the past stuff and your past failures, the more that you think about things that have gone wrong, the more the things that you uh, think about that are bad and, and uh, unhealthy uh, and self-pity and all that stuff, that's what you'll become. You'll become like that. Now, number four, I'm going to give credit to Nikki, really. She's the one who, like a month or two ago, began saying to me, Jay, I think our lives can change if we just start thinking good, positive, and uplifting thoughts. And we started listening to some, some little TED Talks or whatever about people who were telling about the benefit of positive thinking. And every time lately that I've started to get negative, Nikki will like snap me out of it. She'll say, no, 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 we've got to think positive thoughts. And so think right and you'll speak right. Think positive, you'll be positive. Think healthy, you'll be healthy. Think uplifting thoughts, then you'll be lifting others up. Think right, you'll speak right. Think right and you'll live right. Number five, stay away from toxic mental junk food first thing in the morning. Now, I'm going to explain what that I'm talking about here. So how do you think you'd feel that if the first thing in the morning you smoked two cigarettes, ate six glazed donuts, and drank a sugar-laced latte? How do you think, would, wouldn't you be kind of physically messed up? Fired up. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> Pete said you'd be fired up. <laughs> yeah. You, whatever up you'd be, you're going to be like messed up. I'm going to guarantee it. All right? Now, if in the morning the first thing that you do is you turn on your iPhone, your iPad, or your computer, and you start feeding yourself with Facebook, Instagram, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, you're going to end up with toxic mental junk food in the morning. You need to start your morning at least the first. Now, I'm not saying that any of that's bad later in the day. I'm just saying first thing. <laughs> Well, a couple of those stations are. But anyway, anyway, you can't like, like turn on the news first thing in the morning and hear all of this complaining and criticizing and all of this like crazy stuff going on in our world. 
And expect to have a good day, you guys. Like, give God your first part of your day. Don't, 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 don't give your iPhone. Like, keep your iPhone off. Look, look at that stuff, lady. Yeah, you, you've got to answer emails, and, and people are texting you and all that. But I'm telling you, first thing in the morning, it is mental junk food. It will mess up your day. It will just get you, like, off balance is what it will do. So I'm speaking to myself on, on, on this, except that now, I'm pretty good on this. I'm pretty good. My first hour, hour and a half of my day, I, I'm not on that step. But, but by 9 o'clock, I am. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was pretty clever wording, toxic mental junk food. I thought that was pretty clever. So, but I didn't come up with it. Somebody else did. Six, practicing encouraging others. Affirmation completely, completely changes people. This is what this Bible is full of. Your Bible is full of God's affirmation of you. Like just read Isaiah chapter 43, where God says he's called you by name. You are his. You are his beloved. Just begin to read in the scriptures how God feels about you, that Jesus loved you so much that he would come and die for you. That he wants to give you fresh new life. And if there's anybody here this morning and you've never asked Christ uh, into your life to be your personal savior, I would encourage you to do that, that Jesus has come, shown his love in this glorious manner of going to the cross for you and dying for you, that you could have a brand new life in Christ by saying, Lord, forgive my sins, forgive my sins, and I invite you to come into my heart in a very personal, special way, and God will do that. Jesus said, I open the door of my heart, I open the door of your heart, and I will come in. I will come in. And God's opening hearts this morning. I know he is, because his word is so wonderful and so rich. You can change people's lives by just keep telling them how wonderful they are. I wish I had time where I could just pick out a dozen of you and just start <laughs> affirming you. Uh, um, the youth do that a lot when they go on retreats and stuff. They'll just take one, one kid out and they'll be, everybody will start talking about how they feel about that kid and all the good things about them. And, and I think that's a, uh, that is a glorious thing that we can do is to start building people up instead of tearing people down, encouraging them, affirming them, telling them how glorious and wonderful they are. Because all of you are glorious and wonderful. You all have that side to you. We have that other side, you know, that we have to deal with, but God, God is uh, creating in us the very image of Christ. He's making us his people. And as long as we just keep hanging in there, and that's the Christian life. You just don't give up. When things are hard, when you go through seasons that are difficult, you just don't give up. You just say, okay, God, here I am. I mean, you may have been, you, you may have like faced death. You know, you may have been so confused about life, you have no idea what God's doing. Like I was talking to, uh, to Mike Hunter uh, yet last night, and we were talking about you know, the helicopter crash of, of Kobe Bryant and, and, uh, and the coach at OCC and how that doesn't make sense. When life makes no sense at all, we just keep going on. We keep holding on to God. We keep trusting God. When we fail, we get back up. We say, God, just help me not to fail again. We just keep moving forward, and we say, Lord, help us to become kind and gentle and forgiving, merciful and tenderhearted. And then finally, 
uh, be a quick forgiver, which I've talked about a lot already. But um, I remember uh, the, uh, Jack Wheaton, who used to pastor with me back in the 70s, uh, used to say, uh, Brother Jay, we're just going to keep short accounts in life. We're going to keep short accounts. We're not going to let anything linger on. We're going to forgive. And we're going to try to be like God because God does more than forgive, doesn't he? God also forgets. Jeremiah and Hebrews tells us God not only forgives our sins, God forgets our sins. Isn't that a wonderful God? Isn't that wonderful of God that he doesn't remember? God chooses to forget, to just cash out all those things that uh, we've done in our lives that we wish we hadn't have done. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm thankful for James chapter 3 that remind us uh, to remind us to be careful of this tongue of ours and to use it for the good. And uh, let's all stand. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for all of us this prayer. I'd like to pray this prayer that God would give us victory, <clears throat> that God would give us victory to close this prayer, victory over negative thoughts. This is, this is a huge prayer for a lot of you, probably all of us. Thoughts, suspicious thoughts, critical thoughts, negative thoughts, judgmental thoughts, confusing thoughts, thoughts of self-pity, thoughts that drag us down and drag others down. God, I'm asking for Little Church by the Sea, for this family of believers, that you would help us, God, to think your thoughts and not the thoughts of the enemy and not the thoughts of self and not the thoughts of this world, but of your kingdom, God, and the thoughts of your heart. As a man thinketh, so is he. Help us, God, to think on those things that are beautiful and glorious and wonderful that build up, that encourage, that help. Help us, God, to be everything you want us to be and to think those thoughts, God, that are going to create in us and in our days something beautiful. I pray, Lord, there'd be a gigantic shifting and a release, God, from negative thoughts. We can walk out of this place this morning strengthened in our heart and our mind to think good, positive, uplifting thoughts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.